really does a wonderful job serving as our missions committee chair and um, the event that we had the the dinner was amazing and if we do it again i hope that you will come and, and be encouraged i mentioned that we've had a range of experiences as a church during thanksgiving uh, for the first time ever my wife and i uh, made a unscheduled stop at a car wash but it wasn't to wash the exterior of our car and i will just hold you in suspense and let you fill in the blanks concerning why that is with our family we would go to a car wash and not wash the exterior of our vehicle but other things um jay hand also had an experience of very significant illness unfortunately in the last couple of days so he if you were looking at your bulletin we're supposed to be hearing from jay hand who's our pastor of worship and families from psalm 50 and he is not here this morning so you're going to have to deal with me we're still going to talk about Thanksgiving, but from a different passage, specifically Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Uh, and then I'm also going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. The passage will be up on the screen. Uh, if you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. Uh, again, Colossians 4, 2 through 4, and then 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And if you're able to stand, please stand for the reading of and the honoring of God's word. First Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And now First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. I want to start by praying for Jay, that you would heal him. He has been really sick the last couple of days, last few days. And I pray that you would help him recover, restore him to health, even today. And I just pray a blessing over his family as well in the meantime. And Lord, this is a subject that is easy to trivialize, thanksgiving, to sentimentalize. And so I pray that we would hear this matter with fresh ears, that your Holy Spirit would help us rightly discern not only the content of this text, but its power, and that you would change us, and that we would leave here, Lord, uh, more aspirational when it comes to giving thanks as a regular course of our lives, not just seasonally. We love you very much, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Holiday seasons always make me really contemplative. I always remember things kind of randomly. This past week, I was thinking about growing up. We would go to Stone Mountain, Georgia, where my mom's parents lived, and my grandpa was really Swedish like every time we would visit we would go to Ikea and get ligamberry jam kind of Swedish like the Christmas tree was decorated with these I don't know strings of Swedish flags wrapped up and down the entire tree I don't need to do the 23 and me thing I know what it would say um, and we would always pray in Swedish before the meal um, and the prayer went, it was something like Shadagood, and then I, it's just how I heard it. It was Shadagood, let's climb the mountain, yes ma'am, amen. And I thought, hmm, we are in Stone Mountain, I do enjoy mountains, delightful prayer. 
and it was something, you know, like, Lord, give thanks for this meal, but that's how I heard it. And then I also remembered years after that, when I was a little bit older, we would often be home for the holidays, and my dad would sit in the living room of our house, and we had this Clavinova electric piano, and he would play some hymns, especially uh, Give Thanks, if you're familiar with that song. And we are a musical family, meaning that we play instruments, but we are horrendous at singing. And so we would sit there and we would sing, and some people would sing much louder than they really should be singing. But both of these memories, especially their attachment to Thanksgiving, left me coming out of this week longing, I guess you would say, for Thanksgiving to be something far more than seasonal, for Thanksgiving to be an incredibly normative part of our lives, even a a mood you might say. Because, of course, for Jesus' followers, Thanksgiving is not really a holiday. It's an all-the-time thing. And as it turns out, Thanksgiving is an incredibly powerful driver of real spiritual joy. Which is a very significant consideration, given that not a lot of people these days, including Christ followers, are suffering on account of too much joy. In fact, the opposite is true, and I hear this in various pastoral care settings. I see it on social media. I read about it in the news. Many of us are spiritually depressed to some degree, which is an anemia. It's a, it's a coolness that sets in, and we're very often vi- unsure about how to get out of it, And I'm here to tell you that I'm not sure that we have a more powerful spiritual resource at our disposal when we find ourselves spiritually depressed than the practice of giving thanks. A practice, which by the way is a biblical commandment, and we will talk about that later, that helps us enjoy God's presence. So we're going to talk about Thanksgiving this morning. This practice of giving thanks to God, particularly in prayer. And this is a more topical message than we would typically do here at City Church, but given the circumstances, given the season, it is so important and timely that we do this. So two reflections accordingly that we'll make our way through. Number one, Thanksgiving protects us from ourselves. And then number two, Thanksgiving helps us love other people. Thanksgiving protects us from ourselves. And then number two, Thanksgiving helps us love other people. We'll start with that first reflection. Thanksgiving Church turns out that it actually protects us from ourselves. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians is one of the most encouraging segments in the entire Bible. It begins, if you haven't read it before, you should, with a glorious passage about the blessed attributes of Christ Jesus, including his role in creation, his headship over the church, his full divinity, and then his peacemaking work on the cross. And then Paul shows us why all of this makes it possible for previously alienated people to be reconciled to God and then live in light of this gospel hope that we will one day live with God in eternity. And then we see at the beginning of Colossians chapter 3 that this living entails seeking and setting our minds on things that are above, most importantly, God, 
And then we come to chapter 4, verse 2, where we discover that one of the ingredients of this seeking after God is steadfast prayer. And that, wet, that word steadfast is remarkably important. Scripture does not think of prayer so much as an event, but as a move. In fact, I spent a couple of months when I was in college in Ghana with a pastor who constantly said to all of us, we are not praying when we're in the mood, we're in the mood of prayer. And that is a biblical witness. Prayer, thanksgiving, is a mindset, is a, it is a posture. Ideally, we are regularly dialoguing with God in some way, sometimes in very formal ways, like how we do it on Sunday mornings during corporate worship, sometimes in more informal ways, like silently talking to God when we're at work or when we're at school or when we're taking our kids from place to place. But here's the very honest challenge. For a whole lot of us, prayer feels really boring, and if we're really honest, unfruitful. Listen to this description. This is from the British minister, Charles Spurgeon. This was in his, a sermon that he preached to his congregation at New Park Street in London in 1860. He said, there are so many persons who complain that they don't enjoy prayer. And don't we all have to admit that sometimes when we pray, that it is very difficult work and seems to be almost drudgery? We spend the allotted time, but we rise from our knees unrefreshed, like a man who has laid on his bed, but has not slept, so hasn't really recovered his strength. When the time comes around again, conscience drives us to our knees, but there is not sweet fellowship with God. There are many Christians, I think, who complain of this, that pray not so much because it is a blessed thing that allows them to draw near to God, because, but because they must pray, because it is their duty, because they feel that if they did not, they would lose one of the sure evidences of being Christians. Why is this such a common experience? Part of the why is personal weakness. Redeemed people are still flawed. We're saved from our sin, but we still wrestle with the presence of sin, and we have, therefore, an ongoing need for repentance and forgiveness. But here's the other part. There is a spiritual enemy out there that absolutely does not want us to pray and will do anything that he can to stop us. And this is why Paul writes elsewhere in a letter to the church in Ephesus that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. And then just a few sentences later, he writes that the evil one, that is Satan, is known to attack with flaming darts. Thus, Paul's emphasis, Colossians 4.2, on watchfulness as we pray. Watchful as in being vigilant, being alert. Watchful as in wartime living that acknowledges that there is an ongoing cosmic battle between God and the spiritual forces of evil. I really haven't ever played a lot of video games, not because I'm holier than thou, but because I was terrible at this. I mean, I would get, in these first-person games that people play, I would get trapped in a corner, and I couldn't get out. I'd be like, how do you back up? And I would die and respawn and do that just for an hour, and it was not that fun for me. But I did play 
video games with my brothers when I was really little, specifically sports games. That was my safe place. That was the only kind of game that I could do decently well at. I did not like playing against a computer because it felt super impersonal, and I realized I'm basically just playing against myself. But if my brother or one of my brothers came over to me and said, hey, I want to play EA Sports, triple play baseball right now, I'd be like, oh, yes. And I would, I would grab a controller or whatever and, and get to it because it was competitive. And now I had an adversary, and it woke me up and said, I need, I need to respond to this challenge. And it, it created this sort of vigilance in me, and it was very combative. We had, it would basically be 30 minutes of, there isn't a legal pitch that you couldn't throw because there was a glitch in the game. But we would always accuse each other of throwing it, and then we would actually start throwing it, and we would just strike each other out for half an hour. <laughs> I got fired up. I wanted to play because I was aware of the magnitude of the opposition. I was like, I can't. This, this, there's some serious forces arrayed against me here. I need to respond. I need to do something about this. The same kind of thing is true, church, of our spiritual lives. When we realize that there's genuine opposition, it wakes us up. It jars us in this spiritually healthy way. And the really good news is that the power of God is overwhelmingly greater than the power of Satan. The prime example, of course, being Jesus' victorious death and resurrection. But until we are with God in the new eternal city that he is preparing for us, this cosmic battle rages spiritual forces of evil will continue to oppose us and those forces really don't want us to pray because they really don't want us to draw near to God and enjoy his presence. In church we bathe or since it's, it's Thanksgiving weekend we bathe this watchful prayer with Thanksgiving. Look what Paul says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, being vigilant with thanksgiving. A practice that protects us from ourselves. For in giving thanks, we are actually turning our gazes away from ourselves and we are setting them upon the Lord. If you walk away with one thing this morning, and maybe we never see each other again. Remember this. Misery, in many respects, is the produce of excessive self-focus. Thus, the misery that accompanies our increasingly individualistic era. Joyfulness is the produce of God-focus. God-focus in which... We are enjoying his presence by rightly perceiving his greatness and his beauty and his value. So enter Thanksgiving, one of the very best ways to accordingly orient the eyes of our hearts. There is no better way to grow in our awe of God's greatness than to thank him for it. And, you know, if you're drawing blanks, it's like, I don't know where to start. You're telling me about this Thanksgiving business. And if you're looking for a starting point, Colossians chapter 1 
would be a lovely place to start. Give thanks to God, if you're looking for something, give thanks to God that his son Jesus is, this is Colossians 1.15, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Create a thanksgiving prayer liturgy out of that, and see what happens. Memorize it, and then give things accordingly, when you roll out of bed every single morning and see what happens. Very often when we wake up or even when we're going to bed, we just get washed with the troubles of the day. More so maybe than ever because most of us, the first thing that we do know is we grab our phones and we start looking at things. We check our email at like 5.50 in the morning for some reason. Replace that with the liturgy of thanksgiving. Even 30 seconds, 60 seconds and see what God will do. Watch it totally transform your affections for God and box out the oppressive daily anxiety of self-concern. And here's yet another layer of personal protection found in thanksgiving. When we pray, it can be subtly tempting to ask God for things effectively from a position of authority over God. Prayer can easily become a time in which we tell God what to do and the service of what we think is wise and best. And true thanksgiving actually protects us from doing this. It centers us on God. It centers us on his greatness. And accordingly, it helps us ask for things, which we should do, with both boldness and humility, trusting that God will act in our best interest, <coughs> regardless of the specific ways that he answers our prayers. You can probably tell that this watchfulness, this thanksgiving, it requires energy and effort. Often, and this is also really important, in the context of obedience, that occurs before the feelings of joyfulness that accompany our experience of truly beholding God's presence. Last week, my wife, we were traveling to South Carolina, and you know how sometimes you're listening to the radio and you're on one station, then you get far enough away from it and it just gets suddenly replaced by something else. And we started listening closely to it because what, like, wait a minute, we were at music and now it's a talk show. And the guy that was, it seemed to be like a, a smaller Christian radio station of some kind uh, that did talk shows. And the, and the subject that this host was getting after was he said, How do we give thanks when everything is, is like kind of awful? And he was, Speaking about awfulness in the context of, you know, various attacks and the threats against the Church of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to debate the merits of that, but he kept saying again and again, how do we be thankful when everything is awful? I'd love to hear your comments. He gave a phone number, call in, let's talk about how we can be thankful when everything is bad. And he would say that, and then he would say, how do we be thankful when, and then he would say, headline. And he would read a really negative headline about a really bad thing. 
And he would say, call the number, and let's talk about how we can be thankful. And he would wait, and he would say, headline. And he would write another just really negative story. And it went on and on and on and on. And we'd be like, we never got to Thanksgiving. And at some point, I mean, my wife and I were sitting there like, I, some of these concerns are valid. But at some point, you just give thanks. You get on your knees and you reflect or you open the pages of Scripture and you don't wait for some moment to just wash over you or some feeling. You just say, listen, this is what God has commanded us to do. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. And you do it. Trusting that God will honor our posture and he will work accordingly. Trusting that such a posture will give you something that a life spent pursuing nothing but our own interest and comfort will never give us. You see that Christian living isn't passive? We don't throw our arms out and say, okay, God, just do something. Make me feel some way. Instead, we trust God and we do what he says. And by the way, and I alluded to this earlier, did you know that Thanksgiving is a biblical commandment? Consider Psalm 100, verse 4. The psalmist says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Or consider 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, which we read earlier. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And why would he command thanksgiving? Because God is a kind and compassionate God who knows that very often our actions of thanksgiving will precede our feelings. And if he just left us to our own devices, we might never give thanks. In the latter part of his letter to the church at Thessalonica, Paul was addressing a very significant concern among the Thessalonians about the spiritual state of Christians among them who had died. And since Jesus Christ hadn't returned yet, would those dead Christians ultimately be united with Jesus in eternity or had they missed out? And apparently some of the Thessalonians thought that these Christians would miss out on this glorious eternity, and that conclusion understandably caused a ton of depression and hopelessness and rampant self-focus, kind of a, a paralysis by analysis. An unchecked spiritual depression eventually affects the way we live, and such was the case for the Thessalonians. Some began to live very detached, idle lives. Others began to marginalize the seriousness of Christian obedience. So in response, the Apostle Paul had to do two things. Number one, he had to correct their theology. And that's what you find him doing in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, which we will unpack in one of our Advent messages a few weeks from now. Hey, everyone, don't worry about the dead in Christ. When Jesus returns, they will indeed be united with him. And then number two, in light of this theological correction and encouragement, Paul re-instructed the Thessalonians concerning how they should live in the meantime until they find themselves dead or when Christ returns. Thus, the instructions we find in chapter 5, although we are focusing on just one of those instructions, Paul's exhortation that they and we should pray without ceasing and give thanks without ceasing. He's not saying, listen, if you want to live really holy lives, sign yourselves up for monasticism. Paul is saying this, though, live your lives in constant awareness of God's presence, and communicate with him regularly as you go about your day. Verses 16 through 18, 
seem to have three exhortations, rejoice, pray, and give thanks. But actually, that third exhortation likely modifies the first two exhortations rather than standing on its own. Rejoice with the spirit of gratitude. Pray with an attitude of gratitude. And in the context of the book of 1 Thessalonians, all of this makes a whole lot of sense. The cure for daily spiritual detachment and lethargy is an attitude of prayerfulness and thanksgiving, regardless of how we might be feeling. And again, we don't have to wait until we feel thankful to give thanks. We can give thanks anyway, and God actually uses that act to transform our hearts and, and very often lift us out of spiritual depression and discouragement. Some of you have done these really long road races. They're very popular in Gainesville. They're getting longer by the day. It used to be like a marathon. Now it's 50 miles, 100 miles. Who knows? And if you've done these races before, you know that there are aid stations along the way. People are standing there, they're holding cups of Gatorade, and they're giving out power gels and all these things. And if you've done these races, you know that one of the fatal mistakes is only using the aid stations and drinking the Gatorade when you feel like you need it. Because eventually, if you pass them by, your body will start telling you, uh, you're low on energy, you're dehydrated. Those aid stations would have been mighty helpful earlier, and you pass on them because of how you felt. And so it is with prayerfulness and thanksgiving. Very often, we won't feel like in the moment we need to give thanks. We won't feel like we're in a very prayerful mood. But in God's kindness, he says, do it anyway. Give thanks. Get on your knees. And see what I'll do with it. What steps can we take to give thanks? I want to give you a few suggestions that will help you make thanksgiving a more regular part of your lives. If we want to pray without ceasing, if we want to give thanks in all circumstances, number one, first we're going to need to learn different ways to pray. Sometimes we get in these prayer ruts, and those ruts work against this exhortation to pray and to give thanks. We get bored, we get tired, our enthusiasm totally wanes. To guard ourselves from these kinds of ruts, but to familiarize ourselves with the different genres, of prayer in scripture, lamentation, confession, adoration, thanksgiving, supplication. And I also say, consider praying in different places. Very often when I start to get into one of those ruts, it means it's time to start walking and praying, to walk through my neighborhood, to start doing prayer walks through downtown, whatever it takes to go to a new outdoor facility somewhere. Number two, if we want to pray without ceasing and give thanks without ceasing, let's devote ourselves to praying individually and corporately. I think many of us are accustomed to prayer, especially when it comes to Thanksgiving, primarily in formal settings, less so in the rhythms of our daily lives. Think about this. What if we made it a point at the end of this year into 2024 to say, whenever I spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ, doesn't matter the occasion, we spend even 10 seconds praying together. Doesn't matter if we've gathered to watch a sporting event, 
doesn't matter if we've gathered to share a meal with each. It doesn't matter. What if we said, anytime I'm with brothers and sisters in Christ, at some point we said to one another, let's pray together, let's give thanks. And let me, let me tell you, that kind of practice was totally normal in the early church. But I feel as though it's alien to many of us. And it would be awkward to just turn to somebody, hey, hey, let's give thanks. The Lord will use it. Number three, if we want to pray without ceasing, if you want to give thanks without ceasing, let's consider keeping a journal, keeping a record of our prayers, and then looking back at what God has done and giving thanks accordingly. And consider keeping a living journal of your prayer requests by telling other people what you're praying for, telling your friends, hey, I'm praying for this, would you join me? And also they can swing back a week later, a month later, and a year later and say, hey, Remember how you were praying for this? What did God do? And then he will bring to mind through a written journal or through a, a live journal ways in which he did act and care for you and respond, and then you can give thanks to God for those things. And then fourth and finally, church, if we want to pray without ceasing, if we want to give thanks continuously, we need to reassess what we're doing with our downtime. I think the biggest threat to regular prayer today is our phones. <laughs> Reflective time, this has all sorts of devastating social and personal consequences. Reflective time is very much going the way of the earth. I mean, it used to be that we could simply stand in line at a checkout at the grocery store and just think or talk to somebody it used to be that we could just stand in the bathroom and wait for the water in our shower to warm up. But now we look down at our phones for no reason. In fact, unless we're actively pushing back against it, basically the way that cell phones work these days is it's just gradually colonizing every bit of our lives. If we want to pray intentionally, Without ceasing, we're going to need to reassess how we're using digital technology. For some of us, this might even be our number one growth area, kind of at the end of the year and into 2024. Some of us, I think, would be very blessed by making rather drastic changes to our habits. All of these suggestions are very doable, but I want to be real with you, they're not easy. They require a lot of intentionality. They require accountability. Hardly any of us can just leave, walk out the door and say, yeah, I'm going to make all these drastic changes. We absolutely have to invite other people into our lives, people that know about what we're trying to do, can check in with us, can pray for us. And, of course, none of this is going to be possible at all unless the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. Two reflections this morning. We already did number one. We said that Thanksgiving protects us from ourselves. But then number two, Thanksgiving, it turns out, actually helps us love other people well. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4 again. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So we're supposed to pray steadfastly, watchfully, with thanksgiving. But at the same time, Paul exhorts the Colossian Christians 
to pray for us, that is Paul, and his ministry companions, that God may open to us a door for the word, so that they might announce the good news of the gospel to those who haven't heard, and so that they might do so with clarity. And I want you to see that these are not disconnected exhortations. Paul knows that people captivated by the God they are seeking will naturally care a whole, whole lot about other people being captivated by the same God. So in other words, the more we give thanks, the more God changes our hearts, the more we rightly perceive His greatness and His value, the more that we are going to care about other people experiencing the same thing. The more that we will pray, for example, for our missionary partners, that their work would be fruitful, that people all over the world would hear and respond to the gospel. And the more evangelistically zealous we will be. Have you ever considered that evangelism is the overflow of a thankful heart? Show me someone who's thankful. I will show you someone that cares very deeply about bringing Christ to other people, despite the cost, despite how culturally awkward or backwards it might feel. And by the way, those are the same kinds of people who end up showing gratitude to other people beyond just evangelism. One of the primary markers of spiritually healthy people is gratitude unto the Lord, which then changes us in such a way that we're evangelistically zealous and we intentionally show gratitude to other people. If you want to know how somebody is doing, one of the most important things that you can look at or consider is do they have a thankful heart? And does it express itself publicly in the way they talk to other people and the way that they treat each other? And I, I feel like it's really important to mention, if you're not familiar with this book, one of the best books I've ever read is Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones, the Welsh minister. And in it, he says, one of the primary causes of spiritual depression, I agree with this, is basically living your life devoid of any kind of evangelistic intensity. Spiritually depressed people are often the same people that aren't sharing their faith, that aren't taking Jesus to other people. And one of the reasons it depresses you spiritually is because doing so kind of completes your joy in Christ. So the more you back off, the more spiritual depression kicks in. And so do you see how this all goes together? The Lord has said, give thanks. doesn't matter how you feel. Do it anyway and see how I'll use it. And the more we give thanks, the more God transforms our hearts, especially the more we give thanks in light of the gospel. He changes us. He changes our affections. We begin to rightly behold God's greatness and value. And then accordingly, we want other people to know about it, so we're more likely to tell them about Jesus. The more likely we are to express gratitude to other people. And that entire ecosystem refreshes us and renews us spiritually. Thus my longing 
for Thanksgiving to be a regular part of our lives, not something that we're doing seasonally, but something that we're doing because in God's kindness, we know that it will completely change our lives, it will completely change the way that we interact with other people. So my hope is that you leave here more convinced concerning the goodness of thanksgiving, of giving thanks to God, the more, the more zeal that you have to make thanksgiving a practice in your personal life, not just on Sunday mornings. I hope you will try something this week. I hope that you will share what you're trying with somebody else. And I hope that you will expect God to use this in ways that exceed your expectations. Amen.